0: You've got to have revelations on, on recording. recording, Douglas. Yep. But you need to have your yep. revelation about having revelations on recording. On, on recording, recording so then it
1: makes sense.
0: That's so that right. you can have a sting for the Continuity. start of the episode.
1: Correct. Hello and welcome to the 250. The podcast where we slump headfirst into a mountain of cocaine.
0: I'm Douglas and with me is, all is my co-host Jonathan.
1: <laughs> How oh, are you, Jonathan?
0: Perfect dismount, Douglas. Oh, man. That's, Thank you. Uh, I'm going to leave the gap in which I was wildly gesticulating so that you would start the... Do the... Clean. If this is your first time shooting into the 250,
1: we have taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020 and have been watching them from number 250 through to number 1. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, thoughts, and reactions to the movies within. Today's movie is number 100 and...
0: Two. Two. Scarface. <laughs> can, you, uh, can you tell that I copied the document? <laughs> <laughs> After arriving in Miami during the Mario boat lift, a Cuban ex-convict gets back into the drug trade and tries to climb his way to the top. Scarface
1: is directed by Brian De Palma, who is known for Body Double and Phantom of the Paradise, amongst a couple of other films. And it is written by Oliver Stone, who is known for JFK and Platoon, which I did not know. Well, I would, I do know because we watched Platoon. But anyway, uh, Howard Hanks, who is known for Rio Bravo and The Big Sleep, and Ben Hecht, uh, who wrote uh, the book that the film is loosely based on. Neither Jonathan nor I have watched this film before. And, Jonathan, I have a sneaking suspicion I don't know what your reaction to this film is.
0: It's not the reaction you think. I don't think. I think it's interesting. I'm not going to complain about being along, if that's what you think. No. No, no, no. No. Okay. Oh, did you read my letterbox review? No. Okay. I just have a
1: sneaking suspicion that you would have thought that this would have- Directed by Martin Scorsese, and you were like, here what we do you go think? again. <laughs> what do you
0: think? What do you think my take is Douglas? Because I primed Douglas. I said, I've got to take. It's not It's not that complicated. It sound, it, I really made it oh. sound like it was complicated.
1: That the film is very similar in structure and screenplay to some of the other films that have occurred in the 250, and that people really get their fucking- get wet to this kind of, like, a story, and that's why there's so many of them in the 250.
0: That is way more verbose than what I said, but you are absolutely correct. I said- (laughs) I said, once you've seen one film about the rise of a criminal to the top of the criminal ranks, (laughs) you've fucking seen them all, Douglas, (laughs) and damn, was I right. Holy fuck. Uh, Yeah. I'm interested in why this film- Rank so high, and I think Mm. the reason is- I mean, if you watch this in the cinemas, I could see you being fucking psyched about it. And I think it came out fairly early as far as this flavour of, let's be frank, Scorsese films. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I feel like it was, like, fairly early compared to some of them.
1: Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, Sidney Lumet was originally- uh set to direct the film. Um who we like he's head honcho as far as the two fifty goes. He's the guy who did um uh what's, what's the thing? Twelve Angry Men or whatever the hell it's called. Um
0: uh, those guys are a bit unhappy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh it's like way up in the top ten or whatever
0: of it's films. In the top he's ten. He's directed
1: yeah. a bunch of very good films, basically. Smart filmmaker. He was set to direct it. Um but then him and the producer had creative differences because Sidney wanted to take the original film, which was a period piece, take that structure and turn it into a more contemporary piece. And then Bergman, the director, was like, nah, fuck that. That sounds lame. And then gave him the flick and then pulled in Brian De Palma and Oliver Stone to write. And then I think it was Oliver Stone who went to Bergman and was like, nah, dude, hear him out. He's onto something. And then Interesting. Bergman was like, oh, you know what? Actually not bad. And then went, Stone, fuck off. Go write a screenplay on that. And then brought it back with uh, Brian De, Brian de, de Palma de, de to, to do the thing. Um, and while Pacino is Scarface, Tony Montana, he w- the role was originally offered to Robert De Niro. But Robert De Niro turned down the role and highly implored... Pacino to take it and he had said De Niro has a- allegedly gone on later to say that if he did take the role he would have asked for Scorsese to direct it so right somewhere out there There's a little trilogy of Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese. A little white man has a little rough time and should probably go to therapy uh, films. But alas, (laughs) we are like, oh, well, no, I guess we do have a trilogy. There's a spiritual
0: spiritual trilogy, Douglas. Yeah, exactly. There's not an an explicit- Oh, you're talking about Godfathers and Irishmen? No,
1: I'm talking about Irishman- casino
0: yeah and, and the other one Raging Raging Ball. Ball.
1: yeah that's the trilogy that we have right now i guess but um we could have had a little quad- quadrology uh if tetrology had- i believe they're called there you go uh mm-hmm. if he had done scarface i think a lot of people Lord piccino's performance and they think that it's really convincing and good, and I agree to disagree.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe I've met a Cuban person.
1: No, nor have I.
0: In, in real life, nor yes. even am I really aware of seeing a Cuban or, person yeah, yeah. in, like, another piece of media, to the best of mm. my knowledge. Pacino's performance is a lot. I, you know, he he's playing a caricature, you know, like yeah, that's sort of the sort of the point. Um, I guess, yeah. It's not sorry, it's not the point. I the character is supposed to be a lot, but he makes it a lot, a lot. You know, he yeah, he's
1: he really sends it.
0: He really goes crazy with that performance. And I I heard I watched this. I did a group party again, a watch party again. Nice. And one of the other people watching it said that I believe Gina's. Gina, right, mm-hmm. performance is considered to be quite a good representation and, you know, physical representation. That's very and all interesting that kind
1: because I think uh, Al Pacino and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio is- They are both Italian-American and hmm. Stephen Bauer is one of the only actors in the film to be of authentically Cuban descent. So, Mm, mm. yeah.
0: Like, when he talks, he sounds- he, he doesn't sound like a cartoon character. Yeah. And- like, Yeah, you work. But, but I, you get I, I don't know. I wonder, what, I wonder what the logic behind that was. There is definitely- Like, one of the themes of the film is that he's of, like, quote-unquote, you know, like, lower class. And he acts in a way that occasionally sort of betrays that he did not come- You know, he's not old money like some of the other people in the film. He's, you know, just chuffing cigars and just- buying nice cars and stuff to sort of just impress people. And there's it's that the American Dream. He's yeah. he's
1: come on the boat lift and he's come with big starry eyed ideas about what the American dream is. And it's yeah, he does everything in chase of that American dream. Which I think from the perspective of an immigrant, I think that's a very interesting way to throw it as well, as far as the way that um Oliver Stone has written the screenplay. I think that that's a really interesting way to approach a character like this. But yeah, just something about Pacino's performance is just a little bit too much for me, which is odd because usually I adore Pacino and everything else I've seen Pacino in, immaculate. Love the man. Mm. I'm wondering mm. whether it is because of the Cuban effect that he tries to put on here that just kind of, for lack of a better phrase, gives me the ick.
0: Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm I. not in a- and This happens a lot. Uh, I'm not in a good position to sort of say conclusively. Yeah, but true. But to my uninitiated senses, it felt like a lot, like too much even perhaps. Yeah. But it's hard to tell, like, where that is supposed to end and his, like, lower class part of the character it begins, you know? Yeah. There's a classic scene where- They've got the hand washing bowl with the little lemon in it, and he like eats the lemon and I think and, and and you know it's it's like sort of underpins his character that all these old money people do realize that he is new to this game, and they sort of exploit him because of that which is which is key, and I think you obviously need to take some time to sell that, but the performance was too much yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think that in particular is also what separates this from other films of its ilk. Yeah. That and the l- the aesthetic, the overall aesthetic. That's um, exactly
1: where I was about to head, baby. The production design of this bad boy is what redeems it in my mind. Um, mm. That, like, sun-drenched 80s, just greasy, filthy, sweaty- Neon stricken synth new wavy kind of vibe that uh, obviously Giorgio Moroder love my man, my main G, um, and John A Alonso both contribute to the film. It's no wonder that both this film and Chinatown have such a similar vibe.
0: Is he really your main G, Douglas?
1: Who? Giorgio moroder Is he really? Capital G. My G.
0: Capital G for capital G. For G. Incredible. My name
1: is Giovanni Giorgio, but everybody calls me <laughs> Giorgio. <laughs> bum bum bum. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what is that from?
1: Uh, it's the one Daft Punk song where it's like it's got like a whole oh. monologue thing of Giorgio Moroder talking about how he like slept in cars and stuff to like go to discotheques um and listen to and play his music and stuff. He's a cool guy, Giorgio Moroder. He's just He just seems like a very swell, passionate dude. That being said, haven't done too much research into him. Sure hope he hasn't done anything uh, <laughs> uh, horrific. Questionable. Yeah.
0: Done one of those actor things that those actors seem so keen on doing.
1: That's true. But you don't hear it too much in act- composers. You don't hear composers well, no. running around and doing silly shit, usually. I don't know. Hans Zimmer might have done something. Anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the thing is like, like the ones that come to mind is like, I think like Jeremy Soule is an asshole, but he's oh. like, he's not, he's not like a bad person. He's just not fun to work with. It's just, yeah. And there, were, yep. and there was this whole situation with, what's his name? The Doom composer. Oh. But that was more like, that was more like a, a, that- a scuffle with a company per se. Oh, Doom. I thought
1: you said Doom. I'm no, not doing like, That's Hans Zimmer. <laughs> like, oh, we've done uh, it. <laughs> we got no, him. <laughs>
0: no. I think Hans Zimmer is sort of flown under the radar and good for him. Yeah, well, under the radar. Uh, point, point,
1: point. He just comes out every now and then and just drops a bombastic soundtrack and then sinks back into the <laughs> the waves yeah. again. And then he pops his head out and he's like, oh, A film. <laughs> and then he goes back under again. <laughs>
0: Uh, great soundtrack on this film as Wonderful well. Two soundtrack. and a half fucking hours long. Yeah. Which, yeah. once again- this When you account like for all of the, the other tracks as well. The last- Oh, so it includes some of them. Okay, that makes yeah, more sense. The, the um, extended
1: motion picture soundtrack on Spotify is two and a half hours long, um, but that includes uh, a whole bunch of, like, extra little tracks that Giorgio made, which are called, like, Cuban 1, 2, 3, so on and so forth, Um, as well as all of the, like, sung, quote-unquote, songs that are in the film as well, like, the songs that have vocals that play in, like, the disco and the Babylon Club and, yeah, that kind of thing.
0: Et cetera, et cetera. And Interesting.
1: And my revelation <laughs> off of podcast uh was that Push It To The Limit, Was written for Scarface, and it's not actually called "Push It to the Limit." It's called Scarface, and then in parentheses, "Push It to the Limit." What? Yeah, and it was written. It doesn't by Paul Engerman, who did nothing else.
0: (laughs) That's so weird. I guess it does sort of. It just has so much stand-alone power, energy to it. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, which I was like, oh, it's fucking push it to the limit. I was like, what a great, like, inclusion. What a great pick to have in this film. And then I <laughs> saw on the soundtrack it was just called Scarface. And then I was
0: like, wait a second. <laughs> what a-, a damn fucking minute.
1: I smell a rat.
0: You are joking.
1: Um, and it was, yeah, written, uh, p- sorry, uh, produced by Giorgio Moranier and uh, Pete Belot and then recorded by. Paul Angerman.
0: Yeah. I mean a good a good sort of track. I've already talked about the aesthetic of this film mm. and obviously that contributes to it greatly. Uh and just these like I I, I well actually, yeah. This film you know, the film came out in eighty three. Yep. The sort of influx of ex convicts from Cuba happened in nineteen eighty. Yeah. So this was definitely like on the pulse. Yeah. But it was also like this is contemporary cool music, you know. Yeah. These are these are co- these are these are what in the eighties cool is considered. We're not like this is not like a throwback to something using the like common identifiers Mm-mm. of this energy, like of, a this, stranger of this things aesthetic. Vibe.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is just like make a cool song. And he was like- I'm That's gonna what make Giorgio it. Is good at, baby. And he was like, I'm going to put a lot of synth in it. Giorgio because- is the
1: guy who, like, what all of the people who want to get the vibe of the 80s look to, because Giorgio was the guy who made it. He's the guy who established the vibe as far as, like, new mm. wave and electronic 80s um, songs go, uh, which is, yeah, just- bonkers. It's it's uh one of those full circle moments of the two fifty where we finally get to see a piece of media that has influenced so much other media uh throughout the history that has followed uh after the film released. Obviously say hello to my little friend. Getting to see that line <laughs> there's in so the many context quotes, yeah. that it was in, I was like, wow, mm. like genuinely cool. Um yeah, there's more I'll talk about in spoilers, but it's definitely up there in that uh, cult classic territory.
0: Ah, oh. well, do we want to talk spoilers, Douglas?
1: Yeah, uh, well, like go into spoiler zone. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, two things. Number one, would you recommend Scarface, nineteen eighty three? Nah. Okay. <laughs> would I recommend Scarface, nineteen ninety three? Nah.
0: <laughs> I give it like a one Michelin star. I think. I think it. Does a a good job with its aesthetic. I think there's plenty of really fun filmography. Yeah,
1: some of the but oh, some I of the just- like
0: crane and dolly
1: shots in like some of the there's mm. a sequence where they're like going into a hotel. Some of the dolly shots and the crane shots and that shit. I was like, oh baby, yeah, give me more. Um, and towards the end there, there's some pretty like specky, yeah, cinematography work as well. Mm. Sorry, mm. didn't mean to cut you off.
0: But no, no, no. Uh, But the problem is, I'm not even sure I ended up alluding to this, but this film is so deathly predictable. Yeah. Like, and I don't even think that's because, you know, elements of this film became, you know, core elements of crime films off into the 80s and 90s. Like, I think it is just predictable. Like, the film lays out very clearly, this is the character and the situation they're put into- This is, like, this character has, like, a bulletproof moral code or, like, not even that, like, just, like, they're like a Turing machine. Yeah. You just put- It's, like, you give them a particular set of inputs and they will react in a predictable way and that means that you know exactly how it's going to pan out. And I was just, like, we'll talk about it more in spoilers, Douglas. Which is a shame because I'll bet it was fucking crazy when you watched it in theaters. Yeah, like it would have been revolutionary.
1: It's uh, it's forty year anniversary this year, I guess. Um, of God the damn. film. Um, but yeah, I think it uh, artistically, like production design, composition, production design, like the sets and the costumes and stuff like that, are all really, really solid. Um. But I think I just find the character of Tony Montana to be so impenetrable and easily dislikable that I never really found myself Mm. wanting to engage with him because he was so deplorable. The only thing that he had going for him was like, well, he's got balls, doesn't he? He uh, sure doesn't back down and he don't take shit. (laughs) <laughs> um. That's about it
0: Like there's a difference between a flawed character and an evil character yep. He's not even like an anti-hero like, Yeah I guess That's the- that's the distinction An anti-hero is like a flawed hero and you're just like oh, Which I, know, I can man. already
1: hear you incel fucking film cinemaphile motherfuckers being like Oh he has like a monologue in the film where he talks about like he admits that he's the bad guy and blah 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 Fuck off I don't care it-
0: that yeah, that's not what he meant yeah, by that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I I don't give a shit. He's not likable, and he c- continues to not be likable all the way until the end of the film. Mm. So he doesn't even have like a like a redemption of any form. Um, so
0: the 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 films, I think the the thing that sets it apart is the sort of analysis, I guess, for one of a better term of his his class, his place in the in classes socio- compared to
1: fucking
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but it never felt that- What do you call it? Sociopathy? That uh, so, uh, socioeconomic- no, no,
1: no, no. I'm talking about, like, he's a psycho, but, like, a- Oh. Um, I don't know. Might be
0: sociopathy. It. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, it's fun to- It's a fun film to watch for, for the you to be able to go- Just like, the oh.
1: vibe, you know? It feels like a shittier that Chinatown. That's cool. Like a Chinatown where it doesn't have any mystery to it. It's just like a, ga- mm. a gangster. Um, Which, that being said, if you like gangster flicks, you will like Scarface. Because um, it's, it's, it's everything that you would want from a gangster flick.
0: If this is what you're fucking like begging yeah. for, then- Absolutely. Wrap your dick around it. Well.
1: Um the I watched a Siskel and Ebert review, Roger Ebert, uh review, uh like an old archive recording on YouTube from that would have been done in probably nineteen eighty four when the film came out, or nineteen eighty three. Um and uh Ebert adored it. He fucking he was like four stars out of five, like loved it. But then Siskel shared a lot of the same opinions that I share, where it was just like I just don't like him all that much, and he's I never could really get on board with him. Um, so it sounds like you're very much going to be one way or the other. Um, and you're probably not going to know until you watch the film. Mm. So, whatever. I uh, well, this isn't like don't race out of your seats to go watch Scarface. I guess if you're just one of our more, uh common movie viewers but casual uh if you're really hunting for that al pacino gangster vibe uh they also compared his performance to his performance in the godfather a lot and they said that his performance in the godfather was better which you know the godfather part one and part two being in the top four films of all time uh you would think probably stand true but we won't find out for another couple of years so eventually we'll get to that point (laughs) uh but for now yeah,
0: whatever. Do what you want. Let's uh, get into the spoiler uh, but, but, zone. But, but. Content warning. Let's get into the content warning zone. Uh, this has got yeah. everything. It's got it all, baby. Is it like a
1: Texas Chainsaw Massacre reference? Um, um, I'll let you fill in the blanks on what that is.
0: It's just like super violence, like ultra violence. Some of it's like it's quite early into the film. There's quite a unappealing piece of piece of gory violence, and just like misogyny. I don't think there's. Yeah, there's general misogyny. I don't think there's like misogynistic violence, which is nice. It's nice when that doesn't happen. But there's plenty of misogyny. Mm. Not a Bechdel test (laughs) this one.
1: I saw as always.
0: One of the letterbox reviews was "Happy International
1: Women's Day."
0: (laughs) (laughs) But also, like the way that. Women are treated in this film is quite similar to films like yeah, Casino yeah, and yeah. Raging bull and these the way these films are um, written and even just, like I'd never
1: I still haven't seen any female representation where i'm like yeah that's good
0: it's the the kind of thing where the film the film always presents the the women in like a fairly good light because the whole point is generally. Like, this is another reason why these dudes are so yeah. fucked up. But it, it it it's still not, like, a positive representation, you know. It is still, like, not fun. And, like, you definitely see more women in deeply plunging dresses or bikinis <laughs> than you see women in, like, regular clothing yeah. in this film. So, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, um... It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now let's go to the spoiler zone. Uh, and where And what- You love burping. I get really
1: burpy whenever I record burping. the 250. I don't know why.
0: Nothing. Everything makes me- You get know what really makes gassy. me really burpy? Oh. Spoilers. Film spoilers. <laughs> anyway, uh, anything past this point, can, may or will. Spoil. Ooh. Spoil the film. You You really- It's annoying, the character motivations in this. It is annoying because Tony, once again, acts in a predictable way. And that means that when he acts in a way that might be considered uh, irrational, it's rational given the very set in stone-
1: Circumstances he's been given.
0: Yeah. Just the way- just His personality is- S- Mom, rock Mom hates him because he, he went just...
1: to jail and then is just basically like disowned him. Dad is non-existent, so he feels like he has to be the father figure for the whole family and be the father figure for his little sister, which I still feel very uncomfortable about the weird sexual tension that's implied between those Two characters, like I'm still not entirely sure whether you're supposed to feel weird about it or whether they're it's like so I don't know uh that extreme ick.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think that is what it's supposed to be. I think obviously it's like he he cares a
1: lot for her and he like wants to over, look out for her.
0: I don't even call it that. You know, he he. I mean, the, it is it it does come down to like people generally generally don't do things maliciously unless you know presented with a malicious action yeah. from someone else right like people like the the re- he he feels protective of gina it doesn't matter or, or rather what is important is that the way that he feels he has to be protective is completely completely yeah. ridiculous and he's like You can't be involved with any man ever because- Because (laughs) I want to be your
1: dad, I guess. Because- I don't know.
0: Yeah. Because I feel feel yucky about that, right? Which is just like, come on. Fuck your happiness. Like, Like, yeah. What you get at the end is that she's just like, you just fucking murdered my husband. Like, that happened- You know, at that point in the film, that happened like half Mm. an hour ago, you know? She is- understandably in a deep, deep amount of emotional distress and doesn't see an alternative. And that's why she's just like, just fuck it. Just fucking kill me, you piece of shit. she
1: doesn't- She can't find any actual rational reason for him to keep on doing this. So, she's like, what is it? Like, why do you Mm. keep on denying my happiness and denying me a life, basically? Not that Mm. she needs to find a man to have a life. That's a weird way to- uh, I hope that it's not taken in that way.
0: Um, well, the yeah, the the thing is, is that, like, the relationship between Manny and Gina is, like, one of the very few
1: legitimate,
0: yeah. healthy relationships. Sorry, I, I think it's the only one in the film, you know, everything else. Like, even- You, you understand why Mama Montana, who- I don't also, think is named. I mean, to some degree- to some degree, it makes sense that she's not named because because there's no one in the film that sort of would so, call yeah. her by name. But also, like, yeah. anyway, like her her relationship is not good. But it's obvious, you know, it, you understand why. And she's just like, I don't want any part. You know, I don't. I want to make my money. I Want to make my own money. I don't want your fucking yeah. like dirty money. You know, um, stuff like that. And, but these two have like a legitimate good relationship. They have mutual trust and interest. They like each other, they are like talking to each other, they find each other attractive. It's ridiculous. And it's not just, like, the whole thing- And obviously, this blends back into Tony's whole deal about, like, being of a big quote-unquote lower socioeconomic class and just, like, going, like, I want as much stuff as possible because that is basically what the world has told me is success. And I want the yeah. beautiful woman and I want the- spar in my bedroom and blow through four cigars in a night type type lifestyle. It's it's like simultaneously that and also his experience of reaching the top and yeah. going like this sucks. Realising like, that yeah. it sucks <laughs> and that he's <laughs> Yeah no shit. Uh
1: what is it that um Michelle Pfeiffer's um uh character says she's yeah, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Uh, I heard she you. says that was my something- Broden Kelly reference <laughs> Like Brody Kelly, so, is impressive. Um, something about like using excess or like something about the produce and how like you should be selling it and not doing it. And she says that when Frank. Oh ready.
0: yeah, uh, getting high yeah, on supply. Yeah, on supply. That's it. Frank Frank says it about her. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he ends up, you know, just doing all of his fucking cocaine that he gets. And, yeah. obviously, the film is supposed to be set in Miami and everything, but Miami, apparently, uh, the Miami Tourism Board turned down Brian De Palma were like, no, you can't film here because it's got gangsters and drugs and stuff. And we want people to actually come to Miami and not think that you could get shot here where you probably could in the <laughs> 1980s and you probably still can. <laughs> um, so, they, I think they shot it in L.A. instead. But okay. I had a point where I was going with this, and I can't remember what it was. So now I'm just going to keep on talking and trail out like I'm actually making a good opinion. What do you think of that?
0: you were talking about you're talking about getting high on your own supply. I was talking about the the rise and fall, like reaching the top and having nowhere to go, and probably, also the class was stuff with, to with Tony. With
1: cocaine, but I feel like I'm on cocaine now. I can't remember what I was talking about. Oh, um. Two things, two actors that I noticed, and I was like, "Wow, you're in this." F Murray Abraham.
0: Yes. No, I saw this. Fuck me. I, I don't feel bad Baby for not boy. recognizing him <laughs> because when he's not, when he doesn't have a beard yeah. and he's not wearing those fucking like coke bottle glasses, yeah,
1: Blends completely in. different he looking is dude. Like camouflaged into this film. Yeah. Did we? We've done Grand Budapest Hotel, right? Yeah. He's um yep. he's the older version of Zero Mustafa in Grand Budapest Hotel though. That's what That's right. I really like he's a F R Abraham. Man. He's a really fun um, dude. Such a talented actor and has been in so much stuff as well over the course of his life. Um he's been in a whole bunch of things, which one of my favourite performances of his in Armadeus, we will be getting to within oh. due course, I believe. Maybe this year.
0: I thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna bring up Lewin Davis. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's inside. Uh, he's in um inside Lewin Davis as well, and Isle of Dogs. Um, <laughs> oh he w- Oh
0: he <laughs> was inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> I like him. I like him in all of those things.
1: Everything he's been in. I like him in even in this. I was like hell yeah. Like he gets a pretty fun character to play in this. Um, and I like the. The constant kind of air of the unreliable dissemination of information that uh Tony Montana kind of puts into the air, if not one another character. Like him being like, How do I know you're actually a cop? is usually like the line of dialogue. Whenever a police figure comes into the scene, it's like, How do I know you're actually a police and mm. you're not just trying to fucking shake me down? Um I like that air of uncertainty that it brings. I can probably understand a It may bring a deal of frustration to other people, but to me, I'm like, yeah, that's that's good fun. Um, The other person I noticed is, didn't write down the name of the actor, but I'm going to see if I can find him. Um, He plays Hector Salamanca in Breaking Bad, um, which, again, bewildering that I actually recognized him based off of like, facial appearance alone because he's also a fresh-faced little baby boy in this film. Fresh-faced baby boy. He's probably in his, like, 50s (laughs) or 40s or something when this film was made. Um, But, yeah, seeing him was also like, whoa, you were in this as well? It's so cool Um, to see, like, really kind of actors that I respect – What's the guy's name? The character the he name? plays in Breaking Bad is Hector Salamanca, and he is played by Mark Margolis.
0: Mark Margolis. That's I haven't bummer. seen Breaking Bad, so. Yeah. Oh, I know this dude. I know. Is this the guy in the wheelchair? Yeah,
1: in Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got the little bell, and he go
0: ding. Right. Mark Margolis, and he plays Shadow. Yeah.
1: He's the guy in the in the car where he's about to hit the, the bomb that blows up the car with the mum and the kids and the- Dude. Um, yes, and he's also in Black Swan. Yes, um, he's yes, a fun yes. Character in Black Swan, uh, which we will eventually oh. get to. Fingers crossed. Um, Interesting. Oh, you would have seen him in Pie. That would have been what you would have seen him in. He's uh, Saul Robson in Pi. There you go.
0: Jesus. There's like yeah, four characters yeah. in that movie. <laughs> okay, wait. I gotta remind myself. What yeah. It looks pull like up. In there. A, pull up a <laughs> screenshot. Mike. My- Mark, it's a cool Margolis. Name,
1: Mark Margolis.
0: Mark right? Margolis. Is that his um is that like a stage name? Yeah, because has he, he altered? With... Uh, nope. No. He was born Mark Margolis. Sorry, let me look, see him again in Pi Oh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be scrolling up a for family. a long time. Pi Pi is an old movie. Oh, he's
1: been happily married. Interesting. For, uh just over sixty years. He's got one son who's also oh. an actor. And two grandchildren. That's really cool. That's so nice. Good for you, Mark Margolis. Cool dude. Very great character in Breaking Bad as well, by the way. If you ever... I do hope someday you set aside some time to watch Breaking Bad because I think you would enjoy it. But, uh, yeah, he plays Mm a fantastic character in that. Anyway, those were my two characters where I was like, hell yeah, I love seeing you in this. Uh, I wrote (laughs) down... uh, You brought it up pre-spoilers, but Tony eating the hand-rinse thing and the fact that that's not even really yeah. acknowledged in dialogue it's just when like sosa comes back to the table and he kind of looks at him sideways yeah. and he's like what are you doing um exactly it was cool. yeah.
0: like sosa sosa doesn't let much on but sosa has him completely yeah. figured out yeah. he's he's like he's like oh you you say it straight but the value of that to sosa is that this guy yeah. won't lie to you and you know, if you can convince get him to be your on golden, your side, yeah. then he will fucking
1: yeah. it's what Frank says. Do whatever you like. Yeah. to get him on side. Um, yeah, he says like he'll break his back for you, which he does. Um, mm. And then my other observation, uh, kind of closing observation. I don't really have anything else to to really say about the film. Al Pacino.
0: Does this count as a shining light? Douglas? Oh, like,
1: absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Definitely my shining light of the film. Um, Al Pacino is one short little guy. He's one tiny little man standing up alongside some of these actors and the really wide shots and stuff. He's one short king. Mm. I, in my head, for some reason, I've built him up as this, like, nearly six-foot dude, and he's just, like, really <laughs> kind of not jacked, but he's, like, wiry and kind of, yeah, tall, long-limbed uh, kind of dude. But he's really mm.
0: short. <laughs> It works. It it definitely works totally. for the character. Yeah, yeah. It's got that um He's got a he's got a chip on his shoulder and you totally get that from a shoulder. It's got that dude. like Mac
1: <laughs> kind of vibe, you know. Um you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's my shining light. Reference for the sma- for the smash heads in the fucking <laughs> Hey
1: audience. punch out heads, thank you very much. Um how about you? Mm. Do you have a shining light?
0: My shining light was the Babylon Club, Douglas, where this film's got a lot of columns and uh, you know, Columns, columns were a bit of a, you mm-hmm. know, an in thing in the architecture style then. The Babylon Club, not to be outdone, the columns are these cool, sexy lady statues that are just, like, lined up one really? right after the other at the front of the building. I didn't even know. that. Did notice you not see that? that? No. It was- oh, my God. It was incredible. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a big crane shot of them yeah, coming to- into the yeah, an Babylon Club shot. the first yeah. time. Wow. Mm-mm. And also, I really liked Frank's house is, like- so yeah, oh good. The, the end like, house, the lobby like, well,
1: of like just red and the world is yours thing. Oh yes, actually, yeah. that's um.
0: Oh no, 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 the um, no, no, uh, oh, Frank's sorry. house, not yes. Tony's house. Frank's, Frank's got like the big white, white everything's shiny, Palatial. everything's glass, yeah. everything is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, and, the like, sunset things in like primary colors,
1: fucking office, yeah.
0: Oh, that's so yeah, so eighties
1: so and um, vapor wavy kind of
0: energy. It's really funny because I think the film is also trying to go, like, Frank has taste and yeah. Tony doesn't. But, like, the the stuff with Frank- <laughs> Also Pretty looks so cheesy weird. from like today's yeah, land. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny, but but it's definitely it's definitely like this was a modern architect made this house. Whereas Tony's thing is like it's very yeah, Trumpian, yeah, yeah. you know. Self like, I- congratulatory. This is the idea. Of myself what? off.
1: This is what the American dream is. This is like what I should have. Yeah. Um. The final mm. sequence or the final. <laughs> I think genuinely, the final shot where he gets. Shotgunned in the back, falls through the railing and splashes into the pool. <laughs> and like the mixture of blood and water that spews out from the pool, I was like, I genuinely, out loud, went, "Wow!"
0: <laughs> Such a weird ending. Yeah, because yeah, weird, it just odd, ends odd on ending, nothing. Like, which, like, like the- I guess,
1: like when he dies, the story is over. Like, there's there's no yeah, forethought. Yeah.
0: But they're like the like. The like Terminator esque like sunglasses yeah. wearing like assassin like dude who just like se- slow walks he, he, up behind him. He's in one of the earlier Luka.
1: scenes with Sosa. Um, right, he, he gets shown oh, okay. then, but that might... he doesn't. He de- He never pops up again until that's got to be the
0: point of it. So yeah, yeah it's weird. <laughs> it's very odd. Hmm. Uh well, cool. Let's. Uh, do you have any trivia? You
1: bet your bottom uh, dollar. I do. During the scene where Tony and Elvira are sitting in the Cadillac at the car dealership, Al Pacino surreptitiously slips on the hatch that Michelle Pfeiffer was wearing while she was looking away, which was not scripted. When she turns back and sees him wearing it, her amused reaction was genuine, and to her credit, she stayed in character and ad-libbed a line. Brian De Palma decided to keep that unscripted exchange in the movie to show Elvira's gradual warming up to Montana. I think, pacing-wise for the story, I don't think that moment deserves to be at that point in the story. Um, but nonetheless, mm. it is a fantastic outtake because the reaction is so <laughs> genuine from Michelle. She's just like, what the fuck?
0: I mean, Al Pacino's like, dumb ass grin He's like, ah? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just- I I hated- I, I hated how, you know, it's like the Rocky yeah. romance as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. But at least with like- I, it, it's sort of like what if the taxi driver romance worked out? It's yeah. like he is not—he's not giving anything except that he has money. Yeah. That's all. That's all he's really like bringing to the situation. He's just like just gross, you know. And, he's just a gross and false and, promises. And, and you're just and like like idyllic. you don't want her oh, yeah. to end up with him. It, it, mm. Which which m- might might be a statement on her, but I don't. I don't love it. I do like that
1: she eventually hits a wall and then she's like, you know what? Fuck this. Fuck you! I'm done, and then just literally yeah. leaves the film like she never pops back up again, and he keeps on asking about it. Yeah. But it's like, did she call? And it's like, no, she is literally just done. Um, she never like mm. regresses and calls him back or anything. She just cuts mm. him out entirely. Um, which I'm um, yeah, that's probably the only good move <laughs> of uh, <laughs> like yeah. I wouldn't even say female representation, but the choice of a female character, I guess. That's, like, the one good bit um, that I could see. Mm. When director Brian De Palma submitted the film to the MPAA, they gave it an X rating. He then made some cuts and resubmitted it a second time. Again, the film was given an X rating. One of the reasons, apparently, being that Octavio the Clown was shot too many times. That's the guy wearing, like, the big mask thing in the club where he gets, like, oh, riddled with bullets really? by the Uzi. Yeah. He yet again made some further cuts and submitted it a third time. Yet again, it was given an X. De Palma refused to cut the film any further to qualify it for an R. He and producer Martin Bregman, I think I've been calling him Bergman, I apologise, it's Martin Bregman, uh, arranged a hearing with the MPAA. They brought it in a panel of experts, including real narcotics officers, who stated that not only was the film an accurate portrayal of real life in the drug world, but ultimately it was an anti-drug film and should be wildly seen. Widely seen. This convinced the arbitrators that the third submitted cut of the film deserved an R rating by a vote of 18 to 2. However, De Palma surmised that if the third cut of the film was judged an R, then the very first cut should have been an R as well, to which the MPAA disagreed. However, since he believed the studio execs wouldn't know the difference between the different cuts that had been submitted, De Palma released the first cut of the film to cinemas anyway, confessing to the fact only after its home video release several months later.
0: I every time like film classification like bullshit gets involved it's just like mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, yeah. And especially in like the 80s as well like it obviously was a very kind of censored time um for for film.
0: Does it still does it still have a R rating or is it dropped?
1: I don't know. I don't even where do you find ratings anymore? You know what I mean? Like. You're right. In streaming services that's and everything. Weird. You don't uh, see ratings anymore.
0: I haven't thought about
1: that. I think you, the only well, time odd. you would see it <laughs> is if like you were buying a ticket <laughs> for like a cinema thing. It's probably on there. But yeah. When you're on a streaming service or something. uh, It might be in very fine detail. Like italicized at the bottom of a description or something. But. Otherwise, you don't really see it all that much anymore. Um, but, yeah, I know I can verify this because when I watched the Siskel and Ebert review, one of the facts that they brought up was that although this is a R-rated film, they were like, this is a very gory R-rated film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, the chainsaw at the bit, like, bit at the start was like, yeah, oh. Yeah. And it really Brrr. just, like, throws you in the deep end with yeah. that. You're like, wow, Jesus, we are, like, 20 minutes yeah. into this.
1: Which I- did like to a degree because it it states it sets a precedent for a much more modern style of gangster as opposed to your mm. godfather kind of gangster, which is a bit more, uh I guess, refined and like, I don't want to say classy, but like they had a more sophisticated way about going around that sort of like interrogation and stuff like that. And then I think the statement that De Palma wanted to make with, yeah, that is or stone, I guess, was that it's yeah, gangsters have changed as time has gone on and mm. have become more ruthless as, you know, um yeah, life continues.
0: I wonder if it is like a weird idealized version, you know, like fantastical version, like the the uh peaky blinders yeah. type yeah thing. The like the gentleman gangster thing. I mm. don't know. I think that's like a mm. narrative. Oh
1: totally. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it, it feels it feels a little too much but yeah you you're probably correct i mean it, it feels feels real it feels like people who are just like 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 it works in this situation context instance yeah. cuz it's cuz it's not it it it's not really trying to present this fantastical version yep. of it yeah
1: when Scarface 1983 was re-released in cinemas in 2003, the studio wanted Brian De, De Palma to change the soundtrack so that rap songs inspired by the film could be used, and De Palma refused. Thank God.
0: Yeah, what, what an awful fuck? idea. <laughs> mm, I'm glad they didn't do what that. One
1: producer like, sat down, listened to Giorgio Moroder's score, and then went, you know what sucks about this film? The score.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Not enough rap yeah, music. Yeah. So weird. I saw somewhere. I don't think- It probably is on the IMDb trivia page, but I can't be bothered finding it. Um, A video game was released based on the film, mm. I think, in 2007. And the uh, yeah. bit is that what if Tony survived to the final shootout and then went on, like, a vengeance rampage to go and kill DeSouza? That's, like, the- <laughs> Premise of the game,
0: that's fun. I like that's that alternate, fun. like
1: yeah, kind of. Ending that's funny. Thing. Yeah. That's cute. I'd be interested to see what the bits in between, like point A, him surviving, yeah. and point B, him killing Souza. What the journey in between those two points is, I'd be
0: interested to see that. But yeah, otherwise, pretty cute. Uh, I'm having a look, but but keep but keep jabbering. I,
1: it's, there's one thing I'm good at. It's jabbering. Miriam Colon, who plays Tony's mother, was only four years older than Al Pacino.
0: <laughs> that's really funny. That was, is. Really, really is. Funny. It,
1: you, t- that's not how age works. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the title, Tony Montana is called Scarface only once throughout the film and in Spanish at that, which is, uh, forgive the pronunciation, cara hm Okay. The-
0: Yeah, I mean- you, you definitely, like, it's, it's a very striking name and you're definitely like, oh Yeah. But you're kind of like, I think I know yeah, why he's called that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think I get it.
0: I was yeah. sneaking suspicion.
1: Brian De Palma liked the script so much that he dropped out of directing Flashdance to direct this film, which I think Flashdance would have been a very different film if Brian De Palma had directed it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: A, more, uh, a lot more rifles in, yeah, in
1: but, Uh In Flashdance, yeah, yeah. It's like, give the ballet dancer a rifle and see what happens. Mm. Uh, the film is a major influence behind the very first Grand Theft Auto um, and, in particular, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. I was
0: going to say, um, the uh, Vice City, just like that. This was, Multiple people mentioned this yep. multiple times during the recording.
1: The recording. And well, the, the uh, thing, your like little it, group party screening. Yeah, yeah.
0: Viewing. The viewing, I, it's um, it's yeah. iconic. Yeah. It's an iconic movie.
1: Influential, yeah. Mm. Oliver Stone named Tony Montana after his favorite American football player Joe Montana. Stupid. Okay. <laughs>
0: hmm. I like. Like, is Tony Mon- Tony Montana sort of sounds like a Italian? name yeah. to me, right? Yeah, it
1: doesn't particularly sound Cuban, but- Once again, I don't know any yeah. Cuban
0: people, but- In our awfully biased
1: and stereotypical Western view of Cuban people, it doesn't sound like a Cuban name.
0: Well, we are also on the other side of the planet, yes. so yeah. I can somewhat plead ignorance with that one, but- yeah.
1: The prop firearms were equipped with electronic synchronising devices so that they would only fire when the camera shutter was open. The result was that the guns' muzzle flashes are much more visible and consistent than in most films. Oh,
0: oh, okay, A little nifty little bit of that's cool. Technology. I mean, that like, makes yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, because yeah, wow, gosh, that's really that's really out there. Like that, that, that's some like yeah. heat
1: level kind of um, thinking about working. A gunfight sequence
0: yeah yeah for for sure, for sure, because i I, I assume a flash is on the upfield, yeah, like a f- fraction of a second, yeah. so it's so it does make the just, the flash could just be between shutter, openings. yeah
1: the power and the influence of the gunfights in scarface is like pretty good, but still, in recent memory, I still look to heat as one of the most powerful implementations of guns in a film mm. like that shootout that's like midway through Heat where they're like going down the street. Oh my god, I need to go back and watch that whole sequence again because it's just so fucking mind-blowing.
0: I think Heat is potentially my favorite gangster out of film,
1: all that. Yeah, hard. me too. I think it's one of the most intriguing character-wise, production-wise, like yeah.
0: The characters do sort of have a consistent, you know, not personality but like, you know, code that they go by, especially the main character by De Niro. Yeah.
1: and it's a genuinely and interesting journey that you actually want to get invested in as well. Like you want to get invested in both yeah, of the characters absolutely. rather than just being like, I, oh, you just, I don't like you.
0: <laughs> you just, you just know what's happening with yeah. him from from the beginning. Yeah. It's just, yeah.
1: yeah, Heat is yeah, I yeah, good. I gave Heat five stars. So did you? Fantastic,
0: great. Um, ciao, ciao. Uh, that's all the trivia that I got. Oh my god! Well, Douglas, thanks so much for the trivia you're as welcome. always. Don't know where I'd be without you. If you enjoyed- Not recording the podcast. <laughs> this episode. Well, maybe I would be. It'd be much less interesting. I can say It'd that would be episode. a lot quicker. Mm. If you enjoyed this episode of the two-person production <laughs> that is the 250, we put out new episodes every week- Tuesday midnight, Australian Eastern Time, which comes out to Monday afternoons in Europe and Monday mornings in America. Douglas, where can people go if they want more information about the podcast? If you'd like some more information about the podcast, you can go to
1: www.250.com. That's got a full list of INDB's top 250 films of all time as of January 2020 on the homepage there. You can click on any of the posters there and get a link right to listen to the episode there on Spotify. Uh, at the top of the website, there is a link to listen to us on Spotify as well. Uh and then there is a link to check us out on Instagram. If you want to keep up with all things 250 related, uh you can hop over there. Uh, that's at 250 pod on Instagram. Um feel free mm-hmm. to jump into our DMs there if you want to share some opinions about uh any of anything 250 related or suggest something for us to watch or whatever. Um but if you would like a more fancy, formal way of reaching out to us, if you'd like to drop us like a sponsorship. Or something. Uh, reach out at mail at 250.com. Hint, hint. where wink, well, wink, wink. Uh, mail at 250.com will be the place to send if you would like us. This space is free. Your your product promoted here in my-
0: These lips could be yours.
1: <laughs> For the low, low price of five cents a word.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Douglas and I both use Letterboxd, which is a movie tracking and reviewing website we're great big fans of. My account on Letterboxd is UPA, that is U -U -U P A H. and My account is Ienzo Knight,
1: I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T, Ienzo Knight. You can look up UPA, Ienzo Knight, or 250 in the Letterboxd search engine and you will find us. We do written reviews of all the films that we talk about here on the 250, as well as anything else that we watch in our spare time. I've not watched anything else in between... Our last recording session and this recording session. Um, but I am still thinking about across the Spider Verse, I'm not gonna lie. I'm still thinking about
0: You 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 sent me a message saying that you had something you wanted to talk about, did I? That? I would have sworn you said you had something.
1: I I seem to remember it as well. I don't know what I was
0: talking about, but let's just I'm gonna s I'm gonna skim all of yeah, our DMs. I'm looking through and all the DMs now pre-chats. as well and I'm like I don't <laughs> All right, all right.
1: I'll I'm check b- Instagram. B- not <laughs> it. Yeah, it might have been Instagram. Um,
0: uh, what else have I been doing? Uh, yo, uh, uh okay, wait. Oh, you were t- you had shit to say about Ezra Miller?
1: Ezra fucking Miller. Fuck that guy. Uh, and fuck the double standard that Hollywood has at the moment, and just like the general populace has, where like, um, every motherfucker is grilling, um, who like. Unrightfully so. I haven't seen the film, but I still think unrightfully so. Um, Halle Bailey's performance as Ariel in Little Mermaid. I think her voice is fucking made for that role. Um, She's just beautiful from the parts of the soundtrack that I have listened to. And fuck you for thinking that a person of colour can't play any given character, um, regardless of time or history or anything like that why do you think hamilton did so well fuck you um fuck the double standard (laughs) and uh yeah i can't believe that ezra miller jonathan majors and i think there's another person that's also working in like the superhero movie marvel dc racket who they are still you know actively on contract and working for on these films and are receiving no backlash there's nothing in the In the media or anything, or I'm sure there is, but it's probably not very loud, being like, this is the shit that these men have done and therefore we should, like, give them some form of repercussion rather than putting them on a superstar level and being like, wow, look at them go. Like, no, fuck that. That's stupid. And Ezra <laughs> Miller just always seemed like a bit of a fucking weedy guy. Like, he just always had that mm. kind of energy about him. That's what I'm just like. Ah, so- something there. Just, nah, not for me. Um, Yeah, that's all I had to say about Ezra Miller. Just fuck that guy. And I'm not going <gasps> to well, watch The Flash. Talking
0: about Little Mermaid, Douglas. Yeah. I watched the li- 2023's The Little Mermaid. <gasps> <gasps> in, well, I was going to say in Cinemas, but it is like the local cinema that doesn't really have the no, best quality. Okay. But I did watch it and did watch it on the big screen, largely because I do not have Netflix nor Disney Plus and therefore cannot uh, check it out otherwise. Directed by uh, my, uh, name, my main G I- who
1: directed Chicago, Into the Woods and the fucking fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, how do you do?
0: Uh, it's it's pretty good. I haven't watched the original. Oh, um, yeah. That's so right. <laughs> making the comparison huh. is a little hard. I was definitely like- this. I, I knew the story. I think I read- Oh, God. I might have even like had like- Did you ever have one of those books as a kid? This is showing our mm. age so bad. You would get a mm-hmm. picture book and a cassette. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yep, yep, yep,
0: yep, yep. And- and you would- and I think the- I think it would- the, the 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 story would be read out and it would also have, like, sound yep. effects and stuff. I think I had a Little Mermaid one. I know the story quite Interesting. well. But- but I had never watched it. So- and I mean, I knew the story was contrived. It's a- it's a Disney yeah. film. Yeah. And- it, it is more contrived I than just, most, but fuck whatever. Why,
1: why couldn't the character that was based upon a drag queen be played by a drag queen? Like, RuPaul <laughs> is right there, as well as so many other amazing drag performers. RuPaul is probably
0: a bad like, pick. Like, <laughs> just why?
1: why? Why Melissa McCarthy? It's such yeah, a misstep. Ru- it's 2023. It's so fucking obvious. It would have been- And it would have been such a win. People would have gone fucking bonkers for it. Well, this is the thing- is but like, Disney
0: go no. All the fucking miserable, all the miserable shitty conservatives are already not going to watch yeah, this that's film because they're so angry about a black Exactly. Woman so why being not go in all it, in though? That like, just squeeze. Why a drag not double queen down? In. Yeah, exactly. And just be like, well, <laughs> if
1: fucking, if we're not going to please that particular demographic, then yeah, why don't we just double down and go fucking bonkers with it? How was um? Con- that, Sebastian? that aside,
0: good. I because I've seen clips from the new Lion King film and I'm like. Oh my god! That is the most miserable the thing I've ever Lion seen. And the thing that this film, yeah, you don't know, like the live action Lion oh, King. Oh, okay, film. right. Knew, yes, so I, was gonna, I thought they were doing like another
1: like Lion King film, but I was like, why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's that like, there's like that classic side by side of Simba watching his dad fall no! down and go like, yeah. No! yeah. And it's like very yeah. like animated, and then the live action one—it's just a tiger. Ah, like, yeah, yeah. Ah. yeah. <laughs> they picked two great characters. T- two of the three animal characters work stellar. Basically, like uh, Scuttle does really well, just because you can—they—they they, you know—they don't have hands, but they sort of got hands, and they can do the classic like the wings of yep. hands bit, and um, and they can you know they can move around, heats and stuff. And Sebastian is great as well, because he's got his little eyes on stalks, so he can be very expressive. Flounder is so funny, because he's like a dinner plate (laughs) with a face. He cannot emote. He can barely bend or change his body in, Uh like, any way. He was like- it was really rough, and it's so funny because they make him a more reasonable size. Like he's like the size of Ar- uh, Ariel's yeah. head in the original, which means you can put a, a, a humanish face and on him, like, and you can nice. go like, "Oh, yeah. okay, it sort of feels right." But he's full on. He's like the size of your hand. You he's know, a fish. he's tiny, yeah, and he's flat, and like <laughs> you've got like Ariel like swimming around and. And like doing all that stuff, and then just the fish is like, wait for me. I'm like, how are you guys friends? <laughs> how do you, do you, you get <laughs> anywhere? How do you do anything? <laughs> it's so uh, bizarre. It's funny. Like it's just like like the difference like you get like normal animal characters and it's like at least the at least the bird and the crab have like hands. But it's just like it's like being friends with like a plush yeah. toy. <laughs> it's like it's bizarre. Oh, yeah. It's so fucking odd. Um and he's like, I'm scared of sharks, and she's like, Yeah, I'd be scared of sharks. I'm like he does, he's a fish. He really does. He really needs to be scared of sharks. He's the size of your hand, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I thought it was fun. I didn't like the Lin Manuel Miranda mm. song. Um, it made me cringe out of my body. <laughs> I've I've got this funny thing with Aquafina that like she has. A- a manner of speaking that does make her fun to listen to. It does also make her a lot like she plays a very key role in Raya, and it's the same thing. It, it's like the reason this character is sort of fun is just because it's Aquafina playing it. But I, I don't dislike mm-hmm. her. I wish she didn't do that song that Manuel Miranda <laughs> wrote, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think it was good, and and I I think I told you this, Douglas. I was. All week, I was like, I'm going to watch the original, so on the podcast, I can make a meaningful comparison. Here we are. And let me tell you, I didn't, which is especially bad because I think the original's only like an hour and a half long, right? Yeah,
1: I think so, from memory.
0: Yeah, I have no excuse. That's all right. You'll be able um, to make the comparison but next week. people- I've- Absolutely. I, did a- I did a look. People-
1: Yeah, it's an hour and 23 minutes. There you go.
0: Bubble. People have said in reviews that I've read that- the changes to this film make the characters more consistent and believable. So, if that is the case, cool. It was fine. I wouldn't have. I just had some friends that were really excited to see it. I wouldn't have gone out and watched it on my own, just because I do think the the trend. I've said this before. The trend of like adapting live uh, anime films to live action films is like sort of soulless and and miserable, but. It was it's cool. It was cool. It was an enjoyable watch, Douglas. Fun for the, the first whole film family.
1: And then we'll be able to, i mean, the the original—and then uh, uh, come back to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not unhappy that yeah. I saw it. Hmm. That is the trick. Well, do you want to go? <laughs> do you want to fucking go? You just, you just like- sort of,
1: like,
0: <laughs> you're sort of giving me the—you uh, giving me the silent treatment. I finished the bear. The I finished bear. watching the bear, Douglas. The. The show about a uh, Michelin star cook who goes back to save his family. Well, he's, he, gets, he gets given his old family restaurant and he tries to fix it up. I talked about- I talked about it- Okay, that would be why I don't I remember was, it then. Because I, I was having so much fun that I actually got halfway through it, Douglas. Which, as you're aware, I don't do series. I just can't. I anime, just though. cannot do series, especially like I think that's because anime, by and large, let's be honest, by and large, is a less sophisticated experience. True, and <laughs> and, and you sort of don't need to devote as much brain power to it. And it's also like like anime is like candy yeah. watching, you know? It's like it's like easy easy wins. It's short. I mean, this is the other thing. I fucking don't- I just can't sit down and watch half a feature length film for every episode. I just got too many things I want to be doing. Whereas anime, very consistently, 20, 23 minutes. per episode. episode, Bob Junkle. Anyway, The Bear was fun. It's a series that was made with an intention of there being a second season and- it means that maybe the ending to the first season isn't quite as satisfying, but that's fine because I have a particular hatred for TV shows that were not a hatred for a hatred for the industry where TV shows are clearly made with the intention of there being one season and the one season is tightly woven and wrapped itself up and then in the last 5 minutes of the last episode someone does something and they're like oh, time for a season 2 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh in just like the most Shoe in just like an unnecessary way, way. Yeah, and it just undercuts the whole sorry. thing yeah so so whereas whereas this one it it sort of feels like okay that was like a planned se- i mean obviously it's planned but it feels it feels slightly contrived, but you're like, that's fine because I'm excited yeah. to see season two. I think what like the intention for what is gonna happen in the next season is very clearly laid out, and I'm happy to see how that goes. So I yeah, I like it. And I mean, I'm a sucker for food. You are media and baby. It's got this it's got this great um episode. I think it's episode six or seven. One take. Or at least um it appears to be one take. They might have some hidden transitions, but one camera following everybody around. That's just 23 minutes in the life of these characters in we this location. Like it's great. Cool. Let, let's- Man. I don't know. I more, just- so. I,
1: I don't- I haven't seen the thing.
0: I don't have anything to contribute. I got- Just feign, just feign interest for me. Oh, It'll interesting. Me feel good. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, you should check it out. Am I might yeah, I might yeah, yeah, I might add it to my yeah. watchlist list or something. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And now that we have <laughs> sewn together <laughs> our frayed relationship, I can end this episode with a <laughs> uh 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 uh, 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 Aww. Aww. uh My heart is filled, Douglas yeah. with love for my co host. It's I'm glad that Undyne you care passion. so much about me. And <laughs> See you Um, later. We'll see you later, guys. (laughs) I love you, John. Bye. I love you, you too.
1: (gasps) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, contractually. (laughs) (laughs) No. No.